Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. I think everyone would say it was. From the lab's perspective, we were a startup and we joined this global brand. It was fantastic for our growth and our global reach. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of cleantech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warrior. I'm thrilled you've chosen to spend this time with me and excited to bring you today's guest. I first met Tara Doyle back in the summer of 2018 during InterSolar. I was introduced by another guest and friend of the show, Tristan Arian Larico. At the time, I didn't quite grasp the gravity of the story behind this powerful industry veteran. But I'm honored to share it here with you today. You know that rap song that goes, started from the bottom, now I'm here? Well, that kind of sums up Tara's trajectory. Tara has been a vocal proponent of gender equity in our male-dominated solar industry, so I'm proud to kick off Women's History Month with this two-part interview. She has a fun and inspiring history, complete with triumph and heartache, sprinkled with a little sugar. That's Dan Sugar, of course, if you know her backstory at all. So get ready for some fun stories as we regale you with Tara's journey from secretary to boss lady in a very male-dominated segment of our business. I had the distinct honor to record this in the fabulous Berkeley offices of PVEL, and Tara and I covered a wide array of topics, and that's why I'm breaking this up into two parts. Today we'll get the backstory, and next Tuesday we'll round out the discussion with the usual hot or hype learning, leadership, and legacy questions. You can, of course, check out her co-founder's story, Mr. Jinya Medbury, along with other great founder's stories and solar startup advice and 140-plus other episodes archived at mysuncast.com. While you're there, check out our exclusive Suncast tribe or join the mailing list so you won't miss out when the next episode drops. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Okay, Solar Warriors, today I have an amazing honor, a fun interview that I've been waiting for for a while. I'm going to take you back in time to InterSolar 2018 when I was introduced by former guest and friend Tristan Arian Lurico to his boss lady, a spunky and quite intelligent, as you will see today, very savvy and well-connected solar warrior just like you. Tara Doyle has been in this business for more than 15 years, outpacing the likes of myself and my peers. And she quite literally built the foundation under which, again, former guest Jinya Medbury was able to scale and sell PVEL to DNVGL. So when I met the then head of business unit for modules at DNVGL, I have to say I was quite impressed that, uh, I hope she wouldn't mind me saying, this pint-sized 
lady <laughs> was responsible for so many fantastic uh, advancements in our industry. So I won't read to you what the website says, but I will tell you that Tara Doyle has been a force in the advancement of testing and validation and quality improvement of what we call solar panels and what the solar industry around testing has been able to accomplish for the last five plus years. Today, we get a chance to chat with her and she's going to tell you why she's mad at me. So today, as you listen to this on March 7th, we are well into the first week of National Women's History Month. And I'm truly honored to have Tara Doyle as the first female guest in, a, in quite a while, unfortunately, and the first guest to be presented in National Women's History Month. Did I, buy, did I butcher that enough? <laughs> I think you did all right. <laughs> good, good, good. Well, I'll try to talk less and let you shine more in this interview, Tara. Welcome <laughs> to Suncast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I've uh, been a long time listener of your show and really appreciate all the insight that I gained from your from your show and the people that you interview. And it's really, I think, a, a really fantastic program in our industry. You know, I just realized when we were hanging out here uh, that you have something in common with another friend of ours in the industry, Mr. Dylan Dupree, who now runs Calcom Solar, who was over at SPG battling out in the field uh, against me and with me back in the day, uh, building solar projects. And Dylan uh, famously rose from Chiwella to uh, run in the show at SPG and Cal Calcom. So help me understand your first exposure to solar power and how you decided this is where you wanted to focus your time and energy. For me, getting into solar was a complete accident and born out of uh, some really sloppy um, research on my part. I was just getting out of undergrad and uh, looking for a job. Student loans were piling up. And I first interviewed at a door-to-door -door office supply sales company, decided, no way, can't do that. And I, was, I, I signed up with a temp agency, was looking for work. And my recruiter called me and said, there's this company on San Pablo Avenue called Powerlight. And at the time, San Pablo Avenue was littered with lamp stores and so having done no research whatsoever, I showed up for a receptionist interview at Powerlight and I walked in and realized, okay, not lamps. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, got the job as the receptionist looking like, you know, the 12 year old. What uh, year was this? This was in 2003. Okay. How long were you a receptionist? I was a receptionist for just a year. Okay, good. Yeah. It wasn't you. <sighs> Some unwitting receptionist at Powerlight would not let me see Mark Brones. And mm. that defined the moment that I decided not to work for Powerlight. Huh. I never told anybody that story. Really? I literally like drove up to Berkeley because I was like, I'm going to work for Powerlight. Huh. And Mark wouldn't return my emails. Huh. And she did her job as a gatekeeper. And she would not let me see him. And it wasn't like he was back there saying, no, I don't want to see this kid. But I was like, you know, twenty six year old MBA student. Yeah, that's and that would be that would have been very uncharacteristic of Mark for sure. Yeah, yeah, we've talked about it since then. But yeah, yeah, I mean, that's it's funny, like those little things. Yeah. Okay, so you're a rec an unwitting new recruit mm -hmm. to the Powerlight Vortex. Yep, and 
you know, then an opportunity, I kind of, you know, got to know people. I love people, I love talking to people and connecting with them, which, you know, it's a great skill in a receptionist. In fact, I used to get chided for talking too much with other people and not, you know, enough on the phone routing calls. But through that, I was able to have some really good connections with our executive management at the time, who, by the way, you know, they had open offices, totally accessible would, you know, Dan Sugar would walk through the office and come steal anybody along the main corridor, myself included, to go grab lunch. He was always really good about that. And of course, Tom Dinwiddie as well, you know, open access really to the executives. And so I got to, you know, got to know them a lot and they got to know me and my skill set. And when the time came for them to need an executive assistant, I think actually the first, I was called a corporate assistant. We had seven executives and they needed someone to support them. Wow. And so they asked me, they promoted me. And I remember one specific detail. One of my coworkers told me, yeah, you know what? The interviews are really tough and they're really tough on this kind of a position. And I'm not sure you're going to make it because you have a nose ring. And you still have it. And I still have it. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So obviously it wasn't a problem. (laughs) Became a corporate assistant at first and then moved up to the executive assistant level. So 2003, this was like, you know, three or four years before the acquisition mm-hmm. by SunPower. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. 2003, you were like one of the only women in solar at that point. Like name, like how many? You could count them on your hand. Not too many. You're right. Yeah. Um, I would say though within PowerLight, the company did a really good job of, of prioritizing diversity. So we had quite a lot of women in leadership. Our head of marketing was a woman and it was really important to the management to to have a diverse workforce. And that's probably what helped shape a lot of what made PowerLight so great. I mean, there's so yeah. many things, obviously, <laughs> but having a diverse workforce and not just, not just sex, but yeah. different walks of life, artists, different interests. In fact, you know, one of the interview questions, you know, Dan and Tom interviewed everybody. One of the interview questions that they would offer is, or that they would, they would oppose is, What's your skill set? Okay. How much do you like solar? Okay. What instrument do you play? Yeah. Yeah. So it's important. They created a a really cool culture that we all loved. I can't quite put my finger yet on the clear point of departure for someone who's an executive assistant to someone who becomes the chief commercial officer Mm -hmm. of a highly tech enabled company, right? A highly technical Mm -hmm. business. Help me understand your evolution, the transition from just pencil pusher, um, meeting scheduler, gatekeeper. You could probably think of a million other things that you did for the executives, but you were on the very strategic side, a trusted advisor. It was your job to help make sure the wheels don't fall off. You know, through that experience and, you know, what was really frankly expected and demanded of me working with such, uh, you know, lively folks. I really, really grew a lot and learned a lot in that position. And by the time I left, I was more like 10% executive assistant scheduling meetings and more like 90% chief of staff, you know, running and compiling information for Dan's, you know, ops meetings Uh and doing pre-screening on all the interview candidates and sending him the best ones and organizing summits in other countries. And, you know, at that time too, I was 
part of the staff at that point who were leading up employee morale activities. So I started up within the lunch, SunPower. Yeah. So I started yeah. up the, a health and wellness program, and I started wow. up the lunch program yeah. there, and did all kinds of events. And so it was much more like a you know a project manager toward the end, and yeah. a, really like a chief of staff almost at the end. I think titles can be sometimes misleading. Mm-hmm. So while I was an executive assistant and I did do, you know, administrative work, which is also, by the way, I want to say this out loud, it's really important. It is. It's really important. And the people who do those jobs are not just pencil pushers, <laughs> you know, they support the company. They yeah. really hold it up. And I want to give a shout out to my dear friend, Michelle Vasquez, who mm-hmm. Together, we were an unstoppable force right. of power in that, you know, in that group, yeah. in that, in the corporate group. And, you know, we are the, we're the, we're the machine making yeah. it happen. And that's what assistants and executive assistants and receptionists are. Yeah. They are the machine making it happen. I had a very chauvinistic, particularly waspy, immature view of the world most of my first 25 years of life. I'll never forget meeting a man named Kieran, Russian who went to grad school with me. I won't forget it because of the way I, the way I felt and I identified it, which is kind of the first step of recovery. When he said, oh, I was the executive assistant to, and he named some big Russian oligarch. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was 24 or three, four years old at that point. I mm-hmm. was like, what? You're executive assistant? You were a secretary to a president? And over time I got to know Kieran and uh, got to check myself about mm-hmm. the roles like the gender roles that we sort of hold as uh, sacred cows. And I realized that what you just said, he, he essentially was chief of staff of a multi-billion dollar company mm-hmm. and that he interceded on behalf of many employees mm-hmm. and that he communicated on behalf of the head of the company to the rest of the employees. And many people saw him as a figurehead in the mm-hmm. company. And he had also, uh, like Dylan Mm -hmm. and like you, had Mm -hmm. rose up through these sort of middle, not even management, but like these these sort of middle of company, middle status administrative roles Mm -hmm. where he learned how companies run. Mm -hmm. And he's now a CEO of a big company Mm -hmm. in Russia. I think that certainly in light of the context of Women's History Month and wanting to gain more exposure for female leaders in our industry, Mm -hmm. uh, I think that we far too often don't lend enough credence to the work that's done across all different types of jobs Mm -hmm. that support the success of the company. Mm -hmm. They are solar warriors too. That's right. You know, in fact- Yeah, it's not just the sales guys out in the field. I know your profile is, right. I mean, I know your profile is to interview executives, but you know what? How did those executives get there? Yeah. They didn't often do it on their own. That's right. You know, they had a team of people and probably some- really, really phenomenal support helping them get there. And I think it is a real shame, a real shame in this industry and other industries that the support folks and the administrative assistants are in the background and forgotten. So I would challenge you, in addition to having more women on the show, to change up how you think about a solar warrior. Yeah, Get some different kinds of warriors on the show and warriors who make the warriors. Indeed. You know? Yeah. Adam Larner also said a very similar thing. He said, Nico, you need more field people. Yeah. So you just alluded to what I alluded to that <laughs> of why you're mad at me. <laughs> and I'll, uh, I'll just sort of circle back to that 
over a beer at Thirsty Bear in July, you said, you know, there's one thing that disappoints me about Suncast. Uh, <laughs> I said, what's that, Tara? Thanks for... This I, think, a- I think I'd had like a glass or two of wine in me at that point. I yeah. was feeling really bold. Yeah, I'll say that, that Tara is uh, famously introverted. So um, it only took seven months to get you on the show. <laughs> I said, what's that? She said, you need to have more female leaders on the show. And I said, great. When, you're, when are we interviewing you? <laughs> and I, I may have said it on the show. I've certainly said it to countless people that I credit you with my resolution. Uh, and I'll say my goal mm-hmm. to move towards more equitable representation of, I'll say women, minorities, people of color, uh, that more accurate, accurately reflects our industry mm-hmm. that I was truly, I wasn't blind to it, but I was not focused on it. Mm-hmm. Because let's face it, like there still are 500 middle-aged white men who Mm -hmm. helped build the industry that I still could interview. Mm -hmm. I want to just put a pin in the fact that there's never been a better time in this industry for all the reasons of inclusion and focus on diversity to be a woman, in particular a woman of color in our Mm -hmm. industry. Mm -hmm. There are businesses, I'm not going to name them uh, here, but there are companies who have an express political intent at the executive level to promote and to the disdain of the males in the company to promote female leadership. I know that because I hear the back, I hear the backbiting, right? Mm-hmm. Over the years mm-hmm. uh, of undeserving 29 year olds getting director positions. And uh, <laughs> there's an entire program at a major utility that favors almost exclusively executive female leadership mm-hmm. uh, of, of women in their late twenties, early thirties, mm-hmm. who, by the way, get their first job as admin to the CEO. And it's very intentional. I, I mean, I, I know it is very intentional having done so many of these interviews that if you want someone to understand how the company runs, there's mm-hmm. no better place mm-hmm. than to be the right hand to the mm-hmm. person running the company. You know, you in framing this original question, you asked me, how did somebody start as a receptionist and then get into such a highly technical position or field? Yeah. And I would say to that, that I do not have a PhD in physics or applied science. Definitely not. But I have a PhD in knowing people, in yeah. understanding people, and talking to people. Yeah. In solar, you've got to have a mix. You know, it's required because not everybody, not, not you know, the new converts to solar have a wide breadth of understanding. So you've got to be able to talk to people about solar. And it's not about dropping technology terms. It's yeah. about explaining why solar is so important. Yeah. And mix of perspective too. You know, you're sitting in a conference room nothing's going to get done if you have a room full of engineers. In fact, what is the joke? Um, four IEs, six opinions, you know, and like, you've got to have balance. You've got to have the people who are looking at it from different perspectives to say, okay, that's awesome. But what about the voice of the customer? Yeah. What about the person who doesn't know anything about solar? Yeah. How do we reach those people? Yes, I have, you know, in 15 years, how could you not gain a, you know, a solid understanding of the technology? And of course, in the testing business, I know a whole lot about our testing and what we do. So on the job experience, I'd say, and learning and a lot of it and hard work and determination and educating myself, of course, you know, I would say that to be in this field, you don't have to be, you don't have to have a PhD in physics. What you do need to have in, you know, some of the roles in this field is the ability to educate people and talk to people and further the mission, you know? That's one of the things that I have to believe impressed you about Tristan as well. 
because mm-hmm. he's yeah. another like totally not he's not cut from the from the cloth mm-hmm. right um and just decided this is what i'm going to do and yeah um and i think he fits the peville uh, mold very yeah. well exactly uh, he's and a rebel exactly and when you know we were looking at candidates to fill that role the yeah. head of pv module business we looked at i mean i talked to a lot of PhDs, but they couldn't talk to people and they weren't funny. And Tristan, you know, he relates to people. He's funny. And, you know, what I love the most about his offering is that, you know, he's learned through experience too, just like me. And I think when you're talking to module manufacturers or when you're talking to, you know, module buyers or whatever, you got to see from their experience too, you know, like that's often the art of the sale is getting to know that person and, you know, understanding what their needs are and you've done it too. You've mm-hmm. been there too. Right. And here's how you've gotten over that. And so Tristan, with his really great experience in module manufacturing, he's yeah. seen every side of the table. Yeah. That was really compelling. Plus the guy's just a damn hard worker. Yeah. He is. You know, he perseveres Yeah. and he persevered in this position too, because he wanted it. Huh. He got it. So kudos, Tristan. Hey, Warrior. Have you ever designed a system right in front of a customer? Now, for some of you sales folks, that might sound crazy, but for some solar developers, it's crazy genius. In a traditional sales meeting, you show up with a presentation and numbers, and that sets up a subtly adversarial relationship where you're trying to convince the customer of the validity of your numbers and the value of the system that you've created for them. With Helioscope's intuitive design software, some savvy sales teams are flipping that script. Instead of showing up with a presentation, you're showing up with a list of questions. And only when you get to know the customer, understand their priorities, constraints, etc., do you then design a system right in front of them, often with the customer looking over your shoulder every step of the way. That's when a certain magic happens. The customer now owns the system. And with Helioscope's new proposal tool, you can actually design, pitch, and close in one meeting. Give it a try and transform your sales process. Head to mysuncast.com and click the Helioscope banner on the homepage. As a Suncast listener, you'll be gifted an extra 30 days for a 60-day free trial with Helioscope. Find out why more solar companies trust Helioscope than any other design program on the market. Does your current asset management software provider call just to check in? If you're already using PowerHub, well, I know your answer is yes. See, when you're using PowerHub's asset management software, your customer success specialist is your guide and advocate. PowerHub's not just a software provider, they're a partner for your growth. And their seasoned customer success team is known throughout the industry for helping developers spot and address core business inefficiencies. They have the largest customer success team in the industry for a reason, so that your business grows, not just bigger, but better, with PowerHub in your corner. Go to powerhub.com forward slash suncast to learn more. So if, if you're listening to this and you're unfamiliar with some of the other names that we're dropping here, one of the genuine joys I have of um, having done this now for three years, I get to interview people who move on to other companies. Or in some cases, I get to interview three people who all work for the same company who miraculously came back together when I interviewed them at three separate companies. <laughs> Did this occur <laughs> to you? Like, solar. <laughs> I interviewed Tristan in his role at DMVGL, and you should listen to that episode. It was very good. I interviewed Jenya in his role at Cyprus, mm-hmm. and now I'm interviewing you as this chief commercial officer at PVEL. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that. So if you're familiar at all with the beginnings of PV Evolution Labs, I highly recommend you listen to the two-part series with Jenya. It's in the it's in the aughts, the 100 and somethings of uh, Suncast. 
We go into great detail about how he started it, how he funded it. We didn't go into detail other than founding partner about the original team uh, of which Tara was one. Here we are in 2019 on January, what, 1st, you guys announced that PV Evolution Labs version 2 was spinning out of DMVGL and becoming its own, uh, its own is giving, being rebirthed into mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about that. So, you know, PV Evolution Labs or, or PVEL, as we were colloquially called back then, now legally called, you know, we've been around for almost a decade and in multiple different forms. And it's been, it's been a fun ride, honestly, challenging at times, exciting as hell um, to see it's, you know, chapters. And we talk about PVEL and talk to Jenya, you know, in terms of the PVEL chapters, you know, chapter one startup full on. I'm with their, I'm with Jenya calling up the customers, asking them to pay early because we're trying to make payroll. When did he call you? Do you remember when he called you and said, hey, he never did call me. So this is more like the accident. Like, so, you know, Dan Sugar say, hey, you need to go work for Jenya. Yeah. They were looking for an office manager. Shut up. (laughs) Yeah. They were looking for an office manager. And I had just taken a very short break, thought I could try to get it out of the industry, but the lure was strong. And so, you know, they were looking for an office manager, Dan, who was on the board, called me up and said, you got to do this. So when I went in, it wasn't even an interview. It was just- I'm here. No, it was like, they were talking about, it was the whole company who interviewed me, which was like eight people at the time sitting around the conference room table. And it was like, they were arguing over, you know, what I should start doing first and (laughs) whether or not I'd be doing the bookkeeping or if we'd keep the outside firm. That's amazing. You know, and- Did you get any stock? I did. Yeah, I did. Nice. Yeah, Jenya taking care of his peeps. That's right. Um, Not life changing. Jenya said it wasn't life changing for him when DMVGL bought him. So, guessing it wasn't life changing for employees either. You know, actually, on that note, it was challenging. I was in a support role again, but at the time DMVGL bought us, I think I was. I think I, my new ti- my title at that point was director of administration. So basically, yeah. I was in charge of the back office. We had an mm-hmm. operations manager and then we had a business manager yeah. and I was doing all the back office functions of legal HR. So got a huge breadth of experience yeah. doing all these different things, totally. which I think again, shaped my next steps and next roles. Right. But you know, it's often again, underappreciated what happens when there's a merger yeah. and there's the executive side and that's the side where Jenya was, right? It's like, he's talking to the same customers. He's, you know, dealing with the same kinds of people, but on the back end, we're migrating a system. You know, we're trying to keep the train on the tracks. <laughs> we're at the PVEL lab, by the yeah. way, and someone just Urban. skated by yeah. on, a, <laughs> on a lift pump. Yeah. Lift jack. That was hilarious. Yeah. Sorry. Keep going. Never a dull moment. We're not going to cut Even that on out. a Saturday. <laughs> Uh, um, that was awesome. Yeah, totally. Uh, so, you know, I think, again, it's it's often uh, undervalued what happens behind the scenes to keep the train on the tracks and make sure that the customer, you know, on, on Monday, the customer gets an invoice. The next Monday, they need another invoice, right. but we've changed systems. But you know what? Damn it. We're getting that customer, that invoice That's on right. Monday. And we come hell or high water, we're getting that done. Yeah. A monumental effort at that point to migrate and integrate systems that I was involved in. So not just the Mm -hmm. acquisition itself and the diligence and the 2 a.m. and the the lawyers working on that project. Then it was the one-year project of integration. And, you know, that was challenging. It was not business as usual for me, Mm. right? But I can appreciate how, you know, for for others in the company who are not doing the sort of the, the gear 
moving could experience that it was it was business as usual. And it was, to be honest, it was, and to be fair, it was business as usual on the commercial front, yeah. but behind the scenes, definitely not. <laughs> you know, the, the original reason for being, and I encourage anyone to go back and listen to Jinya's episode because he so well characterized this. The original reason for being for PVL was we can do this better and faster, mm-hmm. which is a super compelling reason for DNVGL to buy you guys. Yep. I always wondered to myself if that was a good return on investment for hmm. DNVGL. It's a huge company. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's face it, like principally wind focused. And so you guys were a nice way for them to uh, continue to say, yeah, we're gonna, we're also, we're adding solar on and here's why. And we're mm-hmm. technically c- capable. Mm-hmm. What was it? Four or five years that you guys were there? Yeah, four and a half. Four and a half years. January 1, you spin it out as a, a new entity again, which I'm exceedingly proud of. And I'm sure mm-hmm. that the industry met you guys with praise and accolade. And surprise. <laughs> and And surprise. Yep. So what can you tell me about that sense of return on investment within DMVGL, mm-hmm. uh, what you guys added to the DMVGL business mm-hmm. and the business case for spinning it out? In terms of the value proposition to DMVGL, you know, you've got an advisory business, independent engineering, and that's really, you know, that's what DMVGL is all about, a brain trust of really smart, really, really smart people um, who are advising on complex issues. And the IEs, they survey all kinds of information. They, you know, they gather as much as they possibly can to inform their opinions. And one of the most important things in my opinion, and in our business is in in solar and in performance and prediction is data, Mm -hmm. you know, data from the Holy Grail, it's data from the field. But since 85% of the world's solar was installed in five years or less, there just isn't enough of it out there. There's not a lot. So we do that here in the lab. We're creating that data. We're predicting, you know, lifetime performance, or at least we're trying to quantify it. You know, that's a key part of any IE opinion. So it was a synergistic type of merger or acquisition at the time, as well as this business or PVAL. We're not just a, you know, a data producer. We slide a report across the table. Mm. We are also, you know, in effect, an advisory business in that, you know, we are the lab for the banks. We are the lab for the downstream. And yes, manufacturers, you know, they come to us, they pay us for testing, but, you know, we use those test reports to really talk to the the buyers out there. That's right. And also promoting those manufacturers brands. So it's a really nice synergistic story. And, and then in terms of integrating into DNVGL, we have a lot of the same customers. So they're advising, they're providing opinions, we're yeah. providing the data. And, you know, it's kind of a, kind of a nice marriage, well, if you will. We do this together, yeah. Yeah. I want to also caveat that when we were in DNVGL, we were a separate legal entity yeah. within, the, within the organization. I didn't know that. DNVGL is made up of many different legal entities under the DNVGL brand. Yeah. You know, they're For making, those who don't know, like mm-hmm. explain the, archa- the sort of the, the hierarchy of DNVGL, because it's a behemoth company. It is, yeah. yeah. So... And IE means independent engineer for also the uninitiated. Yeah. yeah. A lot of, the acronyms. Lot of ac- acronyms in our history. <laughs> um, yeah. So DNVGL um, is organized under what internally we call group. So that's, you know, the folks in Norway and there's an executive staff there who's in charge of the entire organization. And then under group, under Remy Erickson, who's the CEO, or group CEO, yeah. there's an executive staff for each of the six business lines. So in energy and those six business lines, oil and gas, maritime, um, software and energy where we are, where we were. 
Energy has an executive staff of its own yeah. that report to the CEO, who's Ditlev Engel, yeah. and Ditlev reports to Remy. So there are six of those types of lines. And then within energy, there's an organization structure. Um, and it's, it gets, uh, you know, it gets complicated. It gets diverse, many branches of the tree. I also want to put a pin in, like, was this in your view or theirs or whatever? Like, was this a good investment? I think everyone would say it was. Yeah. It definitely was. You know, from the lab's perspective, we were a startup yeah. and we joined this global brand yeah. and it was you know, it was fantastic for our growth and our global reach. Yeah. And we have that now. Can you give a sense in like scale of the growth pre and post acquisition? Yeah. Like, so, you know, I'm commercial. Let's talk about customer base. Sure. Right. Yeah. So, you know, we started in 2012 with something like 15, 20, 30 manufacturers testing right. and, you know, something like 20 and growing downstream partners yeah. who are looking at that test data. Mm -hmm. For folks who don't understand the business model, the downstream partners was the business model. Yes. Like that's where the, that's where the value that's is. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, you know, within DNVGL, we grew to 2X, 3X, 4X, those numbers with the global reach and with the, the brand and with the, you know, the folks in the, in the regional offices pounding the pavement for us and educating in India and educating in Japan and educating in Singapore and in Germany um, about the importance of testing. I really want to focus back to what you just said, 30 to 40 clients pre DMVGL. Mm -hmm. Your bio says that you have grown PVL's client base to over 500 companies, 10X. So over the four and a half years at DMVGL, like 10X growth yeah. of client base. Which you led. I mean, not, I didn't lead it all the whole Don't time. <laughs> Don't be humble. This isn't time for humility, right, Mrs. Okay. Mrs. Introvert. Okay, okay. Yes, you've got a support staff and Tristan's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and the other folks too. Uh, you know, the team and, yes. you know, myself included grew this business. And the idea was, let's get this coalition of downstream partners who are educated and who know the value of testing yeah. to the, that value that that brings to their models and to the you know, their, their projects and the equipment disposition, um, when those projects are built. If it was that successful, 10 X growth, seems like DMVGL is a good fit for PVL. Why spin it out? Okay. So I, yeah, I wanted to say that 10 X is over, over the course of time. Definitely with, with DNVGL, we grew quite a lot, yeah. but you know, last year when we started to do some 2019, you know, the annual planning uh -huh. for the next years, DNVGL management and PVL local management, we put our heads together about how we could each thrive in our respective kind of industries. Yeah. DNVGL's core model being, you know, advisory services mm -hmm. and our core being testing and yeah. working with, you know, downstream over the testing. You know, we thought about markets and we thought about reach and we thought about value proposition. And ultimately we came to the conclusion that PVAL could be you know, a lot more flexible, mm -hmm. you know, if we went back to a, an independent entity, it wasn't an easy decision, not by a long shot because, you know, we were integrated at that point and we were, I mean, we were always an independent entity. I wanted to make that disclaimer too, that, you know, the IEs, the, the advisory side of the house always worked with other labs. We weren't the only lab that they, you know, got data from. And yeah, I think that's often 
not understood. Yeah. yeah. And the same with PVELT. We worked with other IEs. We weren't, you know, we, we wanted to get the data out there everywhere, not yeah. just, you know, exclusively within the DNVGL chain. For sure. Yeah. We always operated independently within our areas. Was it always called PVELT? <laughs> no. Well, our legal entity became DNVGL PVEL LLC. <laughs> That's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. But I think, you know, colloquially, we maintained the PVEL. Yeah. I love it. That, which is why you spun it out as PVEL. Exactly. I love it. That's exactly right. Yeah. So the chapters, again, the chapters of the, of the uh, name. I totally understand. Uh, I think I understand. So given that there was a lot of synergy and DNVL is spinning you out, is DNVL still a partner in some way? Like, are they still financially tied to PVEL's success? PVEL is fully independent. We're not in any part owned by DNVGL anymore. That said, industry-wise and in terms of still what we do, mm -hmm. there's still an obvious synergy. Sure. So we're still working with DNVGL quite closely. Yeah. We share a lot of the same clients. So we're still working with them very much. And um, you know, our module scorecard will be co-branded oh, in wow. the next couple of years. And so we will they still be that. collaborating on a number of of projects and you know the synergy doesn't go away that's still there there's still that value proposition yeah but realize we so could Tristan still has to work with all of his other co uh, former colleagues <laughs> he, <laughs> gets he, he gets to yeah hey, that's a good yeah point. for that's sure you know you're now almost two full months into this new thing that's an old thing what surprised you the most what surprised me the most was that was the reaction from our customers hmm. you know and downstream partners it was either from the manufacturer perspective where we're, we've got ongoing testing going on, you know, they're like, okay, cool. Where do I, now where do I send my invoice right. or payment, you know? No system change. Yeah. Um, and that was the question. Okay. What, what's changing in the, you know, for the system? That's right. Will my testing project continue? Right. And the answer to all of that is yes, we're changing a system, but we're going to make it seamless for you. And other customers and downstream partners and other folks in the industry, their reaction was, cool. That's great. You know, congrats, you guys. Let's talk about some new business, you know? So it was, it was really heartening to see. We weren't quite sure. We weren't quite sure how the market would react. Um, we, we, we anticipated some excitement, definitely some surprise, but we weren't quite sure how the market would react to, to this split. And we were really pleasantly surprised by the, the, by the overwhelming positive reaction. You've had a busy decade. Mm -hmm. You've given birth to more than a company, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like we have something in common that we both have an eight-year-old and mm -hmm. I know how hard that is. Mm -hmm. When do you have time to be a mom? You know, that's a fantastic question. And I'm really, really dogged about my family and my schedule. You know, you and I share the same sort of deep, deep feelings about our kids and they're, you know, they're my number one customers. Yeah. They really are. And if it had to be the job or it had to be the kids, there's no choice for me. There's yeah. not, no contest. It's been a struggle. I won't, I won't lie. Being yeah. ambitious in my career and moving up the, up the ladder, so you said earlier, has not been easy with small kids. You know, the, it's, it, the trajectory of moving up the ladder relative to raising small humans is the same yeah. for me, same time period. Having kids who are really amazing and who love solar too, they, yeah. Our whole house is dedicated to solar. No, you're um, more all in than just about any family in. I know. We're all in. And the kids, 
they want to know how it works and they want to know who, you know, who my customers are and who's that and who's, you know, what about this thing? And, you know, where are you going to travel to next mom? And can you bring better. me a souvenir, yeah. you know, but getting them involved in my job and how cool it is, you know, not only am I raising the next generation of solar enthusiasts, yeah. but you know, I'm also, you know, getting them involved in, in my life and the things yeah. that are important to me. So that's been a huge thing. The yeah. other is, you know, I have a really absolutely amazing husband, the best, mm. the best who supports me and, you know, is growing his career too, but, you know, is, in the solar industry. is you know, my, my right hand guy yeah. really. And who is really vested in, in making sure that, you know, the house is running smoothly, especially mm. now. And the kids are getting to their soccer practice and the lunches are getting made so that I can really focus on this chapter in my yeah. career and be able to build PVAL and realize this, this amazing opportunity I have in front of me and to be able to travel. So I couldn't do it alone. That's for sure. You know, one thing that people miss in the context of just listening to a podcast when they're, whenever it is that you listen to it, you know, we're here recording on a Saturday. Mm -hmm. I'm in Berkeley, not Mm -hmm. in Durham, North Carolina, where my three boys and family are, but you're here in your office, Mm -hmm. not at home with your kids. Mm -hmm. Hubby's at home and about to do the handoff with you so that he can go pursue his solar career in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I identify with that. My wife and I do every Saturday. I don't spend Saturday with my wife. Mm-hmm. I have the kids in the morning and she has them in the afternoon. We do exactly this. Yeah, It's a trade-off. I, yeah. We hand off. Yeah. So a better question is, how, how, when do you have time to be a wife? <laughs> well, so that's funny you say that because when the kids go to bed, then we hang out. You know, my husband likes to call that time adult swim. Yeah, um, well, thankfully you don't have a two-year-old. So. No, I don't have the two-year-old. So <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have kids who are, you know, at an age that they're becoming a little adult bit more swim. You know, rational. And we can tell them, hey, time to go to bed, stay in your beds, you know, and then we can, you know, pop on a movie or have a conversation and, you know, really kind of enjoy each other's company and, you know, yeah. Be be a married couple, yeah. Uh-huh. But the balance it's it's not an easy thing keeping mm. that balance. That's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warrior. But the dialogue doesn't have to end right here. Oh no! If you've loved what you've heard here today, please take the time to show Tara and I some love by sharing this podcast with your friends, family, hairdresser, favorite school teacher. Your recommendation is perhaps the highest compliment we could receive. I was frantically taking notes, of course, during this interview, and I've listed the resources and highlights from the discussion on the blog at mysuncast.com. Hey, by the way, if you ever have listened to my interview and thought, I could write that up, I would write a blog about that in a heartbeat, you should try that. Give me a call, shoot me an email, nico at mysuncast.com. I would love to have you do just that for me. To learn more about today's guest or past episodes, just click on the listen link which will take you to the episodes page. There you'll get the show notes, social media and website links, and fantastic book recommendations and all the back catalog of other interviews and book recommendations and other goodies just like we got in this episode. While you're there, do also check out our Suncast tribe where you can be part of my inner circle of solar warriors and trusted advisors. Click on the member button to learn more. And of course, when you subscribe to the newsletter, you'll be notified when the next episode is out. Or perhaps you'll also be notified where I'll be next, like Solar Power Mexico, which is coming up in two weeks, in middle of March, year 2019. Or maybe even Solar Power Puerto Rico, an event happening April 30th on the Isla del Encanto. 
In fact, if you're planning to be in Puerto Rico, you really should consider coming in a day early or maybe on two days early and hanging with us on the 29th, Monday, where I and 14 other special guests will enjoy an exclusive one-day mastermind meeting. Details are forthcoming and will be only announced to my tribe, so be sure you're on that mailing list. Speaking of next, don't miss next week when we'll wrap up this conversation with the lovely Tara Doyle. One more time. Now slam your hand on the table. (laughs) All right, all right, all right. No is a request for more information. There you go. That's the Dan Sugar I wanted to Did I do that okay, Dan? (laughs) Hey, I'm so happy you chose to be here again this week. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. 